The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic Podcast, Ed Sable started a sports film dynasty with the filming of the 1962 NFL Championship. We continue to take you behind the scenes to show you why we love NFL films today. You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr. All right, here we go. NFL historians and lovers of sports history, welcome in. We're finally back on schedule. It's Tuesday. We record on Tuesdays. The show drops Wednesday morning. It gives you all day to get to it. All right. But welcome in. This show is for you guys and gals. Again, it's always cool if you already know this stuff. We get it. We understand. There's a lot of people out there that already know this stuff. Congratulations to you. But there's always someone else who don't. This show is for those who don't know as much about NFL history. So we are here to do three things. That is enlighten teach yes say it with me and learn it is the behind the mic podcast we are presented by billy of sports i'm your host michael neal jr billy of sports podcast network billy of sports media billy of sports.com you catch us on our new home base of megaphone yes megaphone all one word also you catch this show and others in the belly of sports family on apple Podcasts. Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. So, let's get right to it. Teams play all year long just to get to this point of trying to continue to play after that final week of the regular season. Now, we have 18 weeks in the season, right? That extra week of playing pro football. And uh, the one and done has now begun. Playoffs, yeah. So, let's see who moved on and who got a seat on the playoff couch. And if you learned anything from this aptly named wild card weekend it was wild is that no game was definitely over until you pulled for your old heads out there a mortal combat finishing move on the opposition let's get to the rundown wild card weekend saturday it all started seahawks at the 49ers so seattle led at halftime 17 to 16 okay all right they're not going away they wouldn't score again until a minute and 48 seconds left in the game. Why? Because Mr. Irrelevant, third-string quarterback, playing like a seasoned pro, Brock Purdy would throw three touchdown passes and run for another that helped the San Francisco 49ers, who scored 25 straight points to beat the Seahawks at home, 41-23. This team is ready. Shanahan has this team ready. I, I, I do not doubt this team at all. Now, with a rookie... Be a rookie, you know, going forward. That's possible. But for right now, I'm going with what I'm seeing with my own two eyes. Okay? Now, for a minute, uh, that buddy I told you about last week who said that the Seahawks were going to upset the 49ers, looked like he was going to be right for a second. And uh, then, um, you know, they were driving again. Seahawks were 49ers defensive end. What's his name? Charles Omenihu. He actually put an end to that drive. If you didn't watch it, uh, they were going to score. It looked like they were going to score. score. Strip sack, Geno Smith, and then San Francisco, they proceeded to pull away. And it started downhill from there. The boulder went downhill nonstop. Brock Purdy, he broke in 
so far multiple rookie records on his way to lead in the 49ers to their 11th straight win 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 what is a win later 11 straight wins it looks like they got them boys coming to santa clara next week we'll get to that in a minute for the divisional round ah chargers at the jaguars well 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 you know you watch a team throughout throughout the whole regular season and when you do what i do with this rundown you know what they've done every single week because you're watching just about every single game and if you don't get to see the whole game you deep dive into it and even watch a replay in order to see okay this is what this team is right there's a reason why the Chargers were a one and a half favorite going a one and a half point favorite going into Jacksonville they weren't trusted I was talking to somebody about that today the LA Chargers they were sitting at the table eating and they must have hit a bone or something because they choked yeah <laughs> yeah they choked and they were up 27 to nothing in Jacksonville Trevor Lawrence he tosses three interceptions in, in the first quarter three picks in the first quarter four in the first half there's no way you're thinking they're gonna come back are you are you unless you're a Jacksonville Jaguar fan now they didn't believe either because they really didn't like Asante Samuel Jr. You know, we have some questionable you know non-call some pi possible pi but samuel you know he got two of those picks off of lawrence all right game's over with now right and they set the charges up he said i'm personally up for points of course the jags got their ultimate revenge uh during the interview earlier in the i think it was what late last week uh trevor lawrence actually talked about week before last about confidence playing with confidence you wondered about that he was being booed so no the jacksonville jaguar fans they did not like what they were seeing i don't think they believed until the game was over with but uh, it was his four touchdown passes that did the trick didn't look like his confidence was that shook to me jacksonville they come back down 27 points that deficit is the third largest in nfl history postseason after you know riley patterson he kicked the 36 yarder to win the game as time expired so then you move on to sunday dolphins at the bills man a lot of third string quarterbacks have played this season right and then you got skylar thompson rookie third stringer uh because tua concussion protocol for the umpteenth time and then of course teddy he wasn't right either um you got to rely on this third stringer and they they hung in there he, thompson did not play well he didn't he did not play that well but he and the Dolphins team they did just enough to scare everybody in orchard park and i do mean everybody players and fans alike josh allen he turned the football over one too many times raise your hand if you've seen that before yeah i have yeah i have um that uh, two two of those uh picks they led to 11 points for Miami, as a matter of fact. And that's not including the fumble that was a scoop and score. Hmm. Miami, they were not supposed to win this game. Okay, On paper, they were not supposed to win this game. We know this. But it was a division game. One went to Miami. You know, that led to offensive coordinator uh, Ken Dorsey tearing up the entire offensive booth. <laughs> that was one of the funniest things I ever seen in my life. And <laughs> They ran out of time. The second went to, to the Bills, 32 to 29, because of the Tyler Bass, he kicks a game-winning field goal. Point is, all their games were close. This one was as well. And now Buffalo, they get Joe Burrow 
and the defending AFC champion Bengals, uh, at least at home, right? Yeah, they won the game 34-31. Giants at the Vikings. I think America, check that, the world that watched that game was wondering on fourth down and eight, why would you throw that football that short? Why, 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 Kirk Cousins? Five years this guy's been here, they finally get to the playoffs, and this is what you get. But then, too, all year long, the Vikings, they played close, they have played close games. Out of the 13 wins the Vikings have had this season, they set an NFL record, right? 11 one-score wins. So you got to see this is kind of a problem. And all I can keep thinking, even after the great Buffalo game, you know, when Justin Jefferson is one-handing his way to history, um, helping his team to win, is that if they do this in the playoffs, it's going to bite them right in the butt. <sighs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, that was going to be an issue. And it bit them at home. At, in the playoffs you're down to the new york giants what 31 to 24 you got to score a touchdown you need a first down on fourth and eight and you check it down five yards short of the first down that can't happen the giants switching gears they've been impressive for a majority of the season brand day ball is a real coach we martindale is starting to get looks <laughs> and interviews um he's getting the best out of day ball is out of daniel jones right now coincidentally became the first quarterback in NFL history to have 300 plus yards passing, two plus touchdown passes and 70 plus yards rushing in a postseason game. Saquon Barkley is finally consistently healthy. And again, you know, Martindale, he's got that defense to tighten up just enough. Next week, the Giants, they go to Philly. All right, Vikings, you're on the playoff couch. Ravens at the Bengals. I have a question. How many times as a fan were you rooting against the team who has the ball inside the five-yard line? What about the two-yard line? How many times do you just concede that that squad is going to score a touchdown? Especially when they're the Baltimore Ravens and they run the football unlike anybody else in the league. You're hoping that they only kick a field goal. You have to quote Zach Taylor after the game right here. He said that, quote, that's why you never give up on a play even inside the two. When it's the Baltimore Ravens, first to go to the two-yard line, they, you know they're going to score. Aren't they going to score? Lamar Jackson or not, right? Third and goal from the two-yard line. The Bengals came up with the biggest play of the season to date. Logan Wilson, he punches the ball from Ravens quarterback Tyler Huntley. He's trying to reach the ball over the goal line, punched out just short of the goal line, and guess who's there? defensive end for the Bengals and hometown boy Sam Hubbard. He gets the ball, returns it 98 yards for a touchdown, proved to be the game-winning touchdown that broke a 17-17 tie. They go up to 24-17. That was the final. Bengals with the win. The longest in post NFL postseason history, by the way. <laughs> Unfortunately for Huntley, that was his second turnover of the night. It led to two Bengals scores, one of them literally. And, oh, the Ravens, J.K. Dobbins, mm, he had some, some harsh words after that game. He's tired of not getting the ball. And he says if Lamar Jackson had played, they would have won. Help, would have, could have, should have. I mean, check the NFL history. Then there's Monday Night Football. Buccaneers at the Cowboys. Couple of things. Unlike the other five games this weekend, this one was never really in the doubt. I mean, after the first two drives, we know Dak kind of looked a little shaky. But it never really was in doubt. Dak Prescott played like his life depended on it. 
four touchdown passes, touchdown run, and the most important number, zero turnovers. Check. I'm praying for Brett Maher. All right? Brett, excuse me, Brett Maher. We're, we are all praying for him in the Neal household. Brett Mayer, this guy missed four straight extra points. Five, including that season finale, an NFL record. Didn't matter, though. Cowboys dominated the game. Tom Brady was 7-0 against the Dallas Cowboys in his career. So much for that. And, I mean, it's easy to say it's probably time for Tom to retire, but it probably won't happen. I think the guy's going to die on the field. You know, I mean, you've already it, – it, this game is – it may be harsh to say it. It's cost him his family. Um, but he loves the game just that much, and I think he's still trying to prove things. I, who am I to tell him what to do? You know, but I mean, if he plays, he plays. But boy, I, I don't know where. And does he take the Fox job? Does he continue playing? But anyway, you slice it. Once again, the Buccaneers—they depended on him too much. 66 pass attempts—that shouldn't happen. You have to be able to run the football. It was great that they got Jensen back. You know, in time for the postseason. But it just really didn't it didn't help very much. And I mean he had a couple of bad snaps. You gotta get some some reps in there, right? But they still can't run the football worth anything. We'll see if Tom if Tom stays in Tampa, goes to the Raiders or any other team, or goes in that Fox booth to ask for Dallas. Hopefully, we'll get another legendary game between the 49ers and Cowboys. And before I move on, I got a text from one of my boys. <laughs> I made sure I was going to mention this on the show. He said, Mike, if you still do your podcast, which I do, please point out that Dak had a great playoff game against the team with a losing record. That's my two cents. <laughs> Boy, that's cold. That is so cold. Coming up next, we talk. Yeah, we talk. We continue our focus on the history behind NFL films. Ed Sable started it. Steve Sable, he elevated it. Last week, I uh, kind of felt a little rushed. I got so caught up in the nostalgia, and I was kind of rambling. I'm just going to be honest. And I apologize for that. It won't be that today, but um, I, I kind of got sidetracked because I started seeing those old NFL films and hearing that NFL films music, which we'll talk about that a little bit today. But what did we learn last week? I told you what football was like early on when it came to professional football its history on television. But eventually, there will be a more inside look at things from a more intimate angle. NFL Films, they provided that. Ed Sable, who was tired of being a coat salesman for his father-in-law, Jack Siegel, turned a 16 millimeter, I kept saying a million last week. I got it right. A 16 millimeter camera he got as a wedding gift into a hobby which turned into a profession. With a film company named after his daughter, Blair, Blair Motion Pictures, he and fellow filmmaker Dan Indy put in a winning bid for the right to film the 1962 NFL championship game between the Green Bay Packers and the New York Giants. Found out today that that was only a six-man crew. That was, It was only six of those guys. Six total. His first NFL film had a lot of problems, though. I didn't really go into too much detail, but just enough. I mean, first of all, the game was played in Yankee Stadium. I mean, you're in New York. 15 degrees, 30 mile per hour winds. That meant it was a chill, a wind chill factor of zero. Yes, zero. Zero nada, goose egg, you know, 
you know, nothing, zero. That was going to be a problem for filming that Ed and his crew did not anticipate. Now, Sable's World War II cameras, they were literally freezing. They were freezing to the cameraman's face. The film actually froze. The cameras froze. Some of the film broke because of the temperatures. A bonfire, they had to start in the dugout so they could thaw things out. After the game was finished, Sable had to work for weeks in order to piece together what was left of the film. And what he did put together, titled Pro Football's Longest Day, was shown, premiered at Toots Shores Bar, a restaurant in New York City. According to ProFootballHallOfFame.com, where the audience at this premiere was made up of league officials and media members. Commissioner Pete Rosell said it was the best football film he had ever seen. And things only went up from there. And Ed Sable ended up winning the rights to the 63 championship, the 64 championships as well. And after his suggestion to Roselle, the NFL, you should have your own film company. I already got the name for you. NFL Films, boom, stamp it. It is a go. So in all honesty, last week, I got caught up in that nostalgia and how great those films that, you know, that I, I love NFL films. I just absolutely do. And I must emphasize exactly what made NFL films different from everything else. Uh, Ed Sable did everything in color as opposed to the old school black and white. You know, of course, it didn't stop there. That's what made it different. What It's quoted again. Multiple cameras zoomed in for raw close-up shots. You got the linebackers, bloody knuckles. I read that over and over again. Uh, employed They employed ex unexpected angles, actually. Added slow motion for dramatic effect. As a matter of fact, they had a camera that they have a camera that's dedicated just for slow motion, right? That's pretty cool. And they put microphones on the players and the coaches and the officials. And I mean, that right there gave you more than what those old school films did before Sable started doing this stuff. No one had done anything like that. Not with highlights in sports. All of this was shown to music that was original and nostalgic. NFL films music. I mean, raise your hand if you heard it. You have. Okay, you have. Whether you are 22 or 82, I don't care who you are. Composer Sam Spence. He joined NFL films in 1966 and composed over 700 original scores. And they included, stop me if you heard the names of these. The Over the Hill Gang, A Golden Boy Again, Pony Soldiers, Roundup. Y'all heard that. I mean, you know, y'all heard the NFL, the old school NFL films music. Classic battle, headcracker, uh, headcracker sweep. And he had stayed with them from 1966 to 1990. Now, unfortunately, he had gotten to, uh, and I'll get into this one day, uh, kind of Latif with the NFL themselves. I, I'm, I'm not sure how true it is. Supposedly, he signed away his rights to his music. I mean, it looks to me like he still gets credit for it, but that's a story for another day. I'm going to dive into it one of these days, but Spence has stayed with NFL Films until 1990, and uh, NFL Films from him, Spence, they employed Tom Hedden as its new musical director. In 1991, you ever heard the name Dave Robito? Yeah, he joined him. But if anyone's seen, this is going back to 1994, TNT, they had an NFL Films original called 75 Seasons. You, you can look up 75 Seasons on YouTube. 
it's a great like uh, about an hour and a half film and that kind of gives you the history of the NFL or the first 75 seasons of his history and it's great great film um, and you can learn a lot you need to go watch it that was their music that was Hedden and Robodeau and their music their film it was it won an Emmy for the best original score some of those scores included the 75 season suite and this uh, and one of the songs called A New Game you probably hear it even to this day in some of the uh, America's Game. So Tom Hedden is also responsible for music played in the America's Game series. As a matter of fact, I actually own, I bought it years ago, it's probably almost impossible to get now or you had to pay an arm and a leg, but I own the entire 10 CD set. It's called Autumn Thunder, 40 Years of NFL Music. It's a CD book that's made from actual pigskin. I mean, that, that, that's, that was cool. That I did not expect when I bought it. I found it and I got it and let me get my stuff. I still have it and I'm, it's not going anywhere. That's a keepsake for me. Um, but then you had others who contributed uh, to NFL Films music. A lot of different ones. I found, um, I'm the crazy one, okay? So after watching all of those, uh, the Super Bowl memories, right? I knew every song in its order, all right? Some of them I had to go back and look at but I knew just about every song in every order for all of those. And what I did was I, I actually created a playlist that had all of those songs playing in order from each Super Bowl. I mean, that, yeah, that's me. And I, I, always, I would be out there delivering. And if I felt it, I was going to listen to it while I was running through somebody's grass to deliver a package. You know, I got that music going through my head. Yeah, I'm that guy. I'm that guy. All right, so other guys who contributed. Sid Dale, you know, he had one of his, um, one of his is Artful Dodger. Keith Mansfield, Alan Hacksaw, uh, was it Jagged, the big one, Documentary Department. That's the name of some of these songs. John Scott, I know you guys have watched, uh, I mean, some of you older guys probably saw Monday Night Football. You got Monday Night Football. But if you heard that, yeah, it started like that. John Scott's called Beat Big Wheels, and Gathering Gathering Crowds is actually that one right there. Um, Johnny Pearson, he was the composer of Heavy Action, which is the theme for Monday Night Football, and also John Fitty. And then, no film is complete without a voice, and there were several voices. Okay. But the one that obviously stands out the most, uh, NFL Films is simply incomplete without the voice. It was the narration, the narration, the narration that went along with the action on the screen, as well as the music that played. That the entirety of the film was complete because of it. John Thomas Ralph, Augustine James Facenda, yeah, otherwise known as John Facenda, he became the voice of NFL Films until he passed away in 1984. So they got tabs on him in the, in the early 60s as well, or in the mid-60s as well. And uh, legend has it that Facinda, who was a longtime broadcaster from the Philadelphia area, okay, in Philadelphia, he happened to be at a local bar. I've read this in several uh, portions, and then there was he, he, uh, Ed Sable seen him on a television broadcast because he was an anchor. But... They were at a local bar in Philly called the RDA Club, 
where NFL Films Broadcast was playing, Ed Sable was also at that bar. And he heard this local TV anchor speaking about the film. Basically, Sable offered him a job. So whether it's he was at the bar and heard him speaking about the film, or whether he heard him on the air, watched the television broadcast, either way, the man offered him the job and he liked, no, that's not right. He loved John Facenda's voice. Uh, what was the uh, the one from Super Bowl twelve? It was fiercely fought, but frightfully flawed. I, I mean, I love that, man. Crashly <laughs> too. I love that. So, I mean, I believe that their the narration would not have been the same without John Facenda. I mean, there were some some really legendary voices that went along with a lot of these films, but his is the one that stands above all of them. Of course, he didn't start with Facenda, but you know, you had multiple guys. Such as Harry Callis That's the one that I actually heard first I heard Harry Callis uh, Doing you know The the, um, uh, the Inside the inside uh, The NFL You know doing highlight films and stuff like that Even a couple of commercials uh, I remember the gas station The Alcoa gas station I guess it was Or a company you could hear I mean I have to send a book Harry Callis' voice on that too So that was pretty cool You've had actors also, such as Burt Lancaster and Carl Weathers. Um, if you watched America's Game, the Super Bowl champion series, there were multiple narrators that were losing, used in NFL films as well, some 55 episodes. You had guys like Bruce Willis, Kevin Bacon, Martin Sheen, John Cena, Paul Rudd, Lawrence Fishburne, Ed Harris, and Tom Selleck. But there's another story that I really, really love. Really love. One of the more interesting ones of a man who worked with NFL Films for about 38 years. He was a free agent wide receiver for the San Diego Chargers. Phil Tuckett. I love this story. He was an English major that was trying to stick with the LA Chargers back in 68-69. And Tuckett wrote an article every week for a small newspaper. And a Chargers PR person asked him if he kept a diary, which he actually didn't. So Tuckett says he went home that same day and started one, right? Well, apparently... Uh, Ed Sable got a hold to one of his articles and told him he needed to quit football and come to work for NFL Films. So, you know, apparently Sable is actually um, having lunch. Uh, I think it was with the Chargers PR guy. And, you know, he reads that article and he tells him straight up, you need to stop, stop this football stuff, man. You need to come work for me. And uh, actually, I mean, well, well the thing was, is that Tuckett basically said, you know, thanks, but no thanks. But he, he say was telling him he was wasting his time playing football. The reason why is because he said he's the first football player he had ever met that could write. So he thought that he could be great at filmmaking. Great writer, you could be a great filmmaker. Telling stories. Two weeks later, Phil Tuckett got cut from the Chargers. Now, quiet as kept, supposedly Ed Sable may or may not had something to do with that but i mean some somebody out there knows the truth but he spent a year and a half on their practice uh practice squad he only suited up for a single game so tuckett was a football player turned filmmaker and he spent nearly 50 years in the business 38 with nfl films tuckett has written edited directed uh he worked cameras as a cinematographer and for multiple productions um, and ultimately, he became the vice president of special projects, winning 29 sports Emmy awards. The guy 
Ed Sable, he had an eye for this stuff, man. And so did his son, Steve. Now, Ed Sable turned over the role of president of NFL Films over to his son, Steve, in 1985. Now, before that, I mean, Steve Sable, who actually joined up his father, uh, he was working just, you know, in spurts while he was still in college. But in 64, he joined NFL Films and left behind football in Colorado College. Um, so this is the man that I recognize the most because it was he who was the host for those Super Bowl memories that I watched as a kid. He started out, like I said, helping part-time, and then he goes to being one of the main center photographers for the games. He also wrote, directed, edited, produced a majority of the films, and it was his artistic eye, which he credits his mother, Audrey Sable for, um, what, basically what made him great. And he was a, a art history major, I believe it was, at Colorado College, and even his first wife was an art major. So there's a lot of things going on there with this family. So you can tell by looking at their works. Over all the years that he worked as head of NFL Films, Sable conducted countless interviews with coaches and players and commissioners and owners. And the cool thing was him being actually a former player himself, and he was pretty decent for the level that he played on, he could relate to them, you know, in a way that some of these other guys could not. I mean, Phil Tuckett was a former player, so he could relate. Now, Ed Sable, to my knowledge, he never played football. We know that he was a swimmer. Well, after all of that being said, uh, according to ProFootball.com, under the Sable's leadership, NFL Films, they won, to this point, over 100 Emmys. 35 of those were personally won by Steve Sable, which was more than anyone else in television and it is in more categories than any other person in television history that's saying something the man was great and it was it was just that simple it was great he was great uh steve sable took nfl films to even higher heights where his father uh was great for just starting the thing and it's not sugar-coated the man was a great filmmaker in himself and it was his hobby that got this thing started in the first place and his ideas in shooting the way that he did that was the genesis for NFL Films. Now, a list of NFL film productions. Some of my uh, favorites are some of the longtime staples. Some of them don't exist anymore, but you have the NFL Game of the Week, Road to the Super Bowl. Uh, you saw the highlight films, HBO's Inside the NFL. That's NFL Films. Uh, Football Follies, who remembers that? Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty good. NFL's greatest hits. Yeah, we won't see that no more. NFL Films presents, of course, some of the more um, the more recent ones like A Football Life, Hard Knocks, America's Game. You have both the Super Bowl champions and missing rings. And of course, my personal favorite, Super Bowl Memories by Steve Sable. I've got those tapes somewhere in my storage. Now, both Steve and Ed Sable, Ed Sable received a Lifetime Achievement Award uh, from the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences in 2003. They also were inducted into the Philadelphia Sports Hall of Fame and Sports Broadcasting Hall of Fame in 2011. During Ed Sables, 32 years over NFL films, it won 52 Emmys. That's a lot, man. That is a lot. Now, both, thank God, are enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. In 2011, Ed Sable became the oldest enshrined into the Pro Football Hall of Fame at 94 years old. 
Steve Sable was his presenter. That was great. Steve Sable had been diagnosed though with brain cancer. Um, I think it was by the next year, 18 months later, uh, September 18, 2012, he passed away at the age of 69. But it was not entirely over as he was posthumously inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame Centennial Class of 2020. Great. I, he needed to be. I wish he had gotten in there before that, but hey, you know, who, who, who knew? You know what I mean? Who knew? He got in there. I'm glad that he got in there. Now, according to the book, America's Game, my personal favorite, and I quote from chapter 39 with humble origins that began in a few old small offices just above a chinese laundry in philadelphia nfl films has since become a self-contained 200,000 square foot state-of-the-art film and television production facility in mount laurel new jersey uh, and it houses the world's largest film library of, including over 100 million feet of football action stored in more than 50,000 cans. That massive inventory includes every championship game since 1933 footage dating back to the 1894 Princeton versus Rutgers shot by Thomas Edison. That's amazing. As well as the 1925 Pottsville Maroons. That's some old film, man. And you know, another thing uh, and I want to do some research that I read. Um, now, supposedly, a lot of old footage was destroyed. Uh, I hope that's not true, but sounds like it could be because there's some things that are missing. Uh, and they not until NFL films came along that they actually start preserving these things. But it's neither here nor, nor there. And of uh, Steve Sable, Ed Sable, well, really Ed Sable, Former Washington general manager, for what it's worth, Bruce Allen said during the uh, the Sables, a football life, Ed Sables, one of the writers says that in the final ballot, in the final ballot room that the writers are told, you can write the history of the NFL without mentioning blank, and that's before you vote for someone. You know, you have to ask that question when you're going to vote for the Hall of Fame, right? Well, I know one thing for sure. You can't see the history of the NFL without Ed Sable. No lies detected. That's it. References, thanks to ESPN.com, ProFootballReference.com, ProFootballHallOfFame.com, uh, specifically Ed Sable and Steve Sable, their biographies on that website. Also, NFL.com, Cheyenne Edition, From the Sidelines, Sudden Death Sable. This was written by Donnie, excuse me, Danny Summers, September 3rd, 2019. It was updated October 8th, 2020. Also, disrent.com. This football player turned filmmaker won 30 Emmys, toured with Journey, and now teaches Utah students. This was written by Ashley Imlay, November 25th, 2018. Also, the New York Times, Ed Sable, who elevated football founding NFL films, dies at 98 by Douglas Martin, February 9th. 2015. Also, BMI.com. NFL Films composers score at BMI Luncheon. Also, NFL Films, Ed Sable, A Football Life, the beginning of NFL Films, and also A Football Life, Steve Sable. And my favorite book, America's Game, The NFL at 100, co-written 
by Jerry Rice and Randy O. Williams. This has been the Behind the Mic Podcast. Hey, thanks for stopping by, everybody. Uh, this, this show is presented by Belly of Sports. I'm your host, Michael Neal Jr. Also, the Belly of Sports Podcast Network, BellyUpSports.com, Belly Up Media. You catch us on our new home base of Megaphone. Also, the favorites, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. Tell all your friends and family about this show. Or I will find your house. I'm out. Thank you.